ask you guys, have you ever seen those three-dimensional sidewalk drawings? Have you ever seen those where an artist takes a sidewalk and he uses chalk and he colors it all in so that it no longer looks like a sidewalk, but it actually looks like a three-dimensional object or place? I think we have some examples here on the screen for you to see. Yeah, those things are amazing, aren't they? I saw one down in Calgary recently. I've seen them in other places as well. And I am in awe that anybody can take a piece of chalk and a sidewalk and create art like that. I'm not much of an artist myself. Um, I was playing Telestrations the other night with some friends. If you guys don't know what Telestrations is, think Pictionary and you're in the right ballpark, okay? And so I was playing Telestrations with this group and there were adults and there were kids playing in the game. And I found myself having the worst drawings out of everybody sitting around the dining room table. It was embarrassing. I truly and sincerely found myself jealous of a seven-year-old scribbles. I was like, man, that kid can draw. I feel really bad about myself. Joshua, the guy who was up here reading the Christmas story a few moments ago, he looked over at me and he said, Dan, there are a lot of things in life that you do really well. This is not one of them. In fact, he said, I think this might be the thing that you are worst at. And I was like, geez, thanks, man. Appreciate the encouragement. I mean, with friends like that, who needs enemies, right? I'm not much of an artist. And so when I see something like this, my mind is blown. It just, I, I can't even believe that somebody is capable of doing this. Now, the interesting thing about these sidewalk drawings is that they only make sense from one perspective. There's only one place that you can stand and see these drawings and everything pops, everything clicks. It actually looks like it's a three-dimensional picture in front of you. If you stand anywhere else on the sidewalk, if you stand on the side, if you go around to the back and you look at it, the drawing will look warped and unimpressive. I think we have some examples of that too on the screen for you. This is a swimming pool. I mean, it looks like the lady is in the cement, sticking her leg up out of the water. It is impressive when you stand and look at it from the right perspective. But if you slide around to the back, it looks off. Something doesn't quite look right about it. I mean, if you look at these drawings from the wrong perspective, you will end up confused, frustrated maybe a little bit because you can't quite make out what you're seeing, and probably indifferent. You're just like, eh, who cares? I, I don't get it. It just doesn't make sense to me. But if you look at these drawings from the right perspective, everything changes. If you ask people on the backside, what do you see? They would have trouble describing it. It just wouldn't seem all that great. But if you ask people who are standing at the proper point and looking at the picture with the right perspective, they would be gushing about what they saw. They wouldn't be able to shut up about it because it's so mind-blowing that a piece of chalk and concrete was able to create that. Now, what's the difference between those two groups of people? Only one thing perspective. That's the only thing that's different, the point from which they are looking at or observing this particular drawing is the only difference between the two. Perspective makes all the difference. So let me ask you this question. When you look at Christmas in 2017 in Calgary, what do you see? I wonder what your perspective on the Christmas holiday actually is. 
Some of you see magic. It's like Christmas magic and nostalgia, right? You see the twinkle in your little kid's eyes when they wake up in the morning and they find out what the elf on the shelf has been up to all night. Seriously, some of you guys are crazy with that stuff. Like, you take it serious, and I'm impressed. I want to see a movie, like a full-length feature film with this elf and his hijinks. Some of you guys see that magic, that twinkle in your kid's eyes. Some of you guys see the beauty of a tree lit up with gorgeous white lights. Because let's be honest, white lights are better than colored lights. Did I just get booed? Did somebody just boo me? I have preached in churches for like 17 years, and that's the first time I've ever been booed on stage. Wow. All right, I know which topic to stay away from. I'm not trying to start a Christmas war, you guys. But seriously, some of you love that. There is nothing better than seeing a decorated tree. October 31st hit. The kids are coming over to do like trick-or-treating, and you've already got the tree up. That just, it's magic to you. Some of you guys, you think about like all the good memories that you have, you know? You think about your family and all the times you had growing up. You think about the delicious food that you get to eat. My favorite part of Christmas is eggnog, period, end of story. That's the reason that I get most excited about the months of of December, all right? Some of you think about your vacations and the trips that you went on. Maybe you went someplace warm. Maybe you went someplace colder for some crazy reason. But when you think of Christmas, you think magic, You think memories, you think nostalgia. But can I ask you, is that all you see at Christmas? For some of you, from your perspective, when you look at Christmas, you don't see nostalgia, you see stress. Like that's the the word that comes to mind. That's the feeling that rises up inside of you because the bills are bigger than the bank account because you've got family coming over later tonight or maybe tomorrow. And while you're glad to see some of them, others, not so much, right? It's like if, you're, if your life, if your family were a Christmas cartoon, you've got some Christmas villains that just seem bent on ruining it for everybody, and you've got anxiety about these guys coming over. You're nervous about all that you have to do in order to put on the big Christmas production for your family. You add in the crazy pace of cleaning the house and uh, cooking a big meal, and your kids are out of school for two weeks. Like, whose idea was it to take the kids out of school and put them in your house for two whole weeks at the most stressful time of the year? And then somebody drugged you to church this morning, as if you didn't already have enough going on. Somebody's like, you should come and spend an hour at church with me. And you're like, oh, can we just rename this holiday Stressmas and be done Can we just call it that? Because that's really what it is. You guys probably know as well as I do that consistently people report the most stressful time of the year for them is Christmas. It is the time in which we feel the most frazzled and the most chaotic. But let me ask you, is stress all you see at Christmas? For some of you, from your perspective, it's not nostalgia or stress, but, you know, it's like sadness. You know, you struggle feeling sad because this Christmas is different from other Christmases. Maybe last Christmas you had somebody in your life and this Christmas they're not with you. Whether they passed or now they're your ex and this is going to be the first Christmas where your kids are not with you on Christmas Day and you're sad, you're dealing with that, you're processing, how do I handle that? Maybe it's not you know, a relational thing, maybe it's your job. I know three people this December that lost their jobs and they're headed into the next year with a lot of uncertainty in their financial life. 
and with their careers. And they're sad because they don't know what's going to happen. And they're sad because of all the things that they've had to let go of just in the last few weeks. So maybe Christmas is a sad season for you, but can I ask you, is that all you see at Christmas? Sadness? Maybe if we strip away the busyness and the tradition, we get rid of kind of all of that, and we just look at December 25th from a religious perspective. You feel indifference. You're like, I don't get it, you guys. I don't know why you Christians get so hyped up over the birth of a baby. I I don't know. I just don't see it. It doesn't do anything for me. You might see just the birth of another religious leader, and you're like, meh. I don't know. I don't know why you guys get so worked up about it. I don't get it. But is that all you see? Is that all you see? A group of Christians who act like this is the biggest day of the year, and you're like, no, it's the most stressful day, or it's the saddest day. Is that all you see this Christmas? My hope is, this morning, by the time you leave here, that you will see more this Christmas that you will look at Christmas through fresh eyes and you will see things perhaps in this holiday that you have never, ever taken notice of before, that you would see Christmas from a totally new perspective, that before maybe you were standing on the side and you're like, yeah, there's something there, but I can't quite figure it out. And this year you would step into the right spot and you would see it for all of its wonder, for all of its glory, and it would click. And you would say, oh, now I get it. Christmas really is the best time of the year. Now, in order to help you see it from a new perspective, we're not going to look at the story of Mary and Joseph in the scripture. We're not going to look at the nativity through the perspective of the shepherds or the magi. We're actually going to look at the first Christmas from the perspective of heaven, That when you read that story, Luke chapter number two that Joshua read for you a few moments ago, it talks about angels. It talks about God himself looking down on what's happening. And so I want to look at that story from the perspective of heaven. Now, some of you are like, "Uh, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not even sure that Jesus was a historical figure, much less that angels attended his birth. And I get your skepticism. I genuinely do. But I'm hoping you can kind of consider at least what we're going to say this morning over the next 15 minutes or so. You'll at least consider it because I believe, I am so convinced that if you could see what heaven saw on the night of the first Christmas, then you would respond the way heaven responded. If you could see what the angels saw, if you understood what was really going on on that one night in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, it would change your perspective on this holiday altogether. So what did heaven see and how did heaven respond? We're going to read just a a couple of short verses here. It happens to be the same exact passage that was read to you a moment ago when all the kids were in here. So you're already a little familiar with it. The scripture says this, that night, the night that Jesus was born, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, because it's pretty crazy when angels show up, let's be honest. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all 
people. The Savior, yes, the promised Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those on whom God's favor rests. You know what heaven saw the night of the first nativity? The night that Jesus was born, do you know what heaven saw? They saw an answer to your prayers. Heaven saw solution to the brokenness in our world. Heaven saw hope arrive. They saw good news that would bring great joy to all people everywhere in all times. Heaven saw God come to earth in the flesh with the name Jesus. Now again, some of you are sitting here and you're saying, I don't see it. I don't know, Dan. I just, I don't get it. I see a baby being born. He's just another religious figure. That's all I see. Can I invite you to just change your perspective a little bit? Can I invite you to look at this story from a new position, from a new angle, from a brand new perspective? Don't view this as just one night in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago on the other side of the planet. I want you to view this as the big story. I want you to go way, way back before this moment happened, and I want you to consider what it means all the way here in 2017. You see, since the dawn of time, like from the very beginning, people have had questions. You've had questions. I've had questions. Our ancient ancestors had questions. Questions like, if there is a God, then why does he seem so distant? Where is he? You say he's here, and yet I've never met him. I've never experienced him. Questions like, why is there so much hatred and violence in our world? I've certainly wondered that. Questions like, what is the purpose of all of this? And why am I here? And how am I supposed to get the most out of this life that I've been given? Some people ask, why do I feel so empty despite all my success? You've, had, you've accomplished everything you set out to accomplish in life, and yet something still seems to be missing. And you're asking, is this all there is? And you're afraid the answer is yes. Because we have these questions, and everybody's got answers. Everybody's got opinions on the way to answer these particular questions that we have. Have you noticed that? Everybody's got something to say. They'll tell you, oh, this is why God is not present, you know, in, in the moment he's not here, it's hard for you to experience him. They'll say, this is why there's so much suffering in the world, or this is the meaning of life, this is what you're supposed to do with your 60, 70, 80, 90 years here on earth. Everybody's got answers. The problem is nobody can decide whose answers are right. We have no idea who's got the right answer. Why is your answer any better than her answer? And why is her answer any better than my answer? So for years and years and years, the world has been conflicted. We've had all of these different ideas about why are we here and what should we do? And is there a God or is there not a God? And the truth is, all of these conflicting opinions and ideas have made things worse instead of better in a lot of cases. 
All of our different ideas and perspectives and opinions that we bring, in truth, have brought as much hurt as they have hope to the world. And that's true of Christians, that's true of atheists, that's true of that religion, that's true of that one. It's true of all of us. It's like we've all got opinions, but there's no way to figure out what is this all about and why are we here? So God decided to get involved in the conversation. This is what happened on the first Christmas. God decided to insert himself into our discussions, into our debates. He decided to come and answer the question for us once and for all. But he didn't do it through religious texts. He didn't do it through prophets. He didn't do it through dreams. He did it by coming to earth in the person of Jesus. See, when you look at Christmas and you just see like, oh, another religious teacher, I want you to understand Christians see something different. And this is why we get hyped. This is why we get excited when it comes to celebrating this holiday. Because it wasn't just the birth of a baby born under strange circumstances. And it wasn't just the beginning of another religious leader's life. We actually believe at the first Christmas because humanity was so confused about who God is and what he's like and what he wants from us that God came to earth to reveal himself to us. The real fancy way of saying that, if you want to get super theological and impress somebody, is you can say that Jesus was deity incarnate. The not so fancy way of saying it is he was God in a bod. He was literally God in the flesh. This is why. Heaven celebrated harder than anybody on earth that first Christmas. And this is why Christians get super pumped about the holidays. And this is why for some of us, this time of the year is much more transcendent than the gifts we give and where we spend the holidays and what our bank account is or isn't like. It is about something much bigger I want you to understand that the meaning of Christmas is bigger and better than you could have ever hoped. The story of God coming to earth is better than any other story you've been told about who God is. Because in Jesus, at the first Christmas, God both revealed himself to us and he identified himself with us. He didn't show up and say, all right, this is who I am. And by the way, you all stink. I'm not happy with any of you. I'm about to lay the smack down. Here we go. He didn't do that. He came as one of us. And the scripture says that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's what you've been told. You've heard even from Christians like me. Oh, no, God is, he, he is ready to condemn everyone and everything for everything they've ever done. And yet John chapter number 3, verse 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus was God in the flesh, revealed to us, and he identified with us. This story not the story of a little baby being born and some shepherds in a manger. That story doesn't really have the power to transform anything. You've tried, and it's only left you stressed and sad and indifferent. But this story that God came to earth to reveal himself to you and to say, I'm for you, not against you, that has the power to calm your fears. That has the power to answer your questions. That has the power to lift your spirits. 
He has the power to change your life. So we wrap up this morning. I'm going to give you three kind of tips that'll help you take Christmas from stressful to meaningful this year. Some ways that'll help lower the anxiety and difficulty that you feel in this season. And the good news is these will apply to you whether you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus or not. If this is your regular home, you come to connect all the time, or this is the first time and somebody drug you because they promised lunch and that was it. You know, that was the only reason you're here. These will apply and help you, I think, regardless. Number one, Remember, there's only one Savior, and you aren't it. There's only one Savior, you aren't it. You're probably a wonderful person, I have no doubt about that, but I doubt that angels sang when you were born. I doubt wise men traveled from afar to show up at your hospital room the day that you were born. There's only one Savior that's ever been born, and luckily, for us. It's not you. Hey, can I just encourage you this Christmas season? Again, whether you believe what I'm saying about who Jesus was or not, can I just encourage you to let go of the weight of everyone else's expectations and experiences this Christmas? You can let go of that. You don't have to carry the weight for whether or not somebody has a good and enjoyable and meaningful Christmas. Don't sweat it if you weren't able to give the kids everything they wanted. Don't sweat it they're going to be okay. You didn't get everything you wanted when you were a kid and you turned out fine for the most part. It's all right. You don't have to carry that anxiety. Don't worry about whether or not your sister-in-law is going to have a good time or your mother-in-law is going to complain about what you cook tomorrow. It doesn't matter. You're not their savior. You're not responsible for them encountering a meaningful Christmas. That's not your job. That's the job of the savior who came. And so you can let go. You can say, you know what? For me, Christmas isn't about the gifts we give. It's not about the meals that we have. It's not even about the family time. Ultimately, Christmas is about connecting with this bigger and better story. And so I'm going to let go of my Savior mentality, and I'm going to allow Jesus to be who Jesus is. Here's the second thing you can do. You can choose to see more this Christmas. It is a choice. It won't come naturally. You'll have to decide, I'm going to see more this Christmas. Because it is so easy for us to get wrapped up in the gifts and the gatherings. But instead, can I just challenge, encourage you this Christmas to choose to change perspectives? I'm not going to look at this simply as another holiday where I've got to perform and make everybody happy. I'm going to see something more. I'm going to connect with the real meaning of Christmas this year. That might be like, you know, some specific ways that you can do that. You might choose to pray with your family. That might be something you're like, whoa, we don't do that sort of thing. I get it. I get it. But that might be a way that some of you connect to a bigger picture this Christmas. You might at Christmas talk about the things that you're grateful for. I know we typically do that at Thanksgiving, but it's always a good practice to say, hey, this is what I'm grateful for. And one of the things I'll challenge you to do is not only say, this is what I'm grateful for, but to also say, this is who I'm grateful to. And that could be a person. It could be somebody sitting around the table. Or you could say, I'm I'm grateful to Jesus that he came, that he revealed God to me, and he identified me with God. You might choose to do that. You might say, let's read the Christmas story as a family. I know it's lame. Nobody's going to pay attention. But this is a way where we can connect with something more meaningful this Christmas. So you'll find the Christmas story in Luke chapter number 2. 
So you can write that down if you want to, or maybe you'll remember it. Luke chapter number two, maybe that's another way where you can connect with something more meaningful. But listen, part of the reason that Christmas has been so miserable for you is because you have made it about things that it was never supposed to be about. And until you connect with that ultimate meaning, the truth behind this holiday, then it's always going to be Stressmas. But if you can make it Christmas, Christmas, then it takes on a whole new perspective and a whole new meaning. One last thing, we're done. I want to encourage you to receive the gift of Jesus this Christmas. I really do. Some of you have been coming to connect for a long time, and you've heard, you've unlearned what you thought you knew about God, and you've started to learn God as he was presented by Jesus. Some of you, this might be your first time here. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know your background. You were probably hurt by somebody who claimed to be a Christian. Some of you have been, you know, you've had terrible church experiences. I get all of that. But can I tell you that ultimately the church is not what it's about. The people are not what it's about. The Christ is what it's about. And you can receive the gift of God's love today through Jesus. You see, consistently in the Bible, God's love is presented as a gift, not as something you earn. Do you realize this is kind of the, the, the long history of why we even give gifts to each other? The idea that God gave us the ultimate gift on the first Christmas, that's why we trade presents. You didn't even know that you were reflecting God when you were giving gifts tomorrow, but that's exactly what you're doing. The scripture says, for God so loved the world, he loved you. He didn't hate you. He's not angry at you. He doesn't want to squash you like a bug. God so loved the world that he gave, he gifted his one and only son that whoever trusts in him will not perish, but find everlasting life. Dozens and dozens of times in the Bible, God's love for us is presented as a gift. Second Corinthians says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift in Christ Jesus. You see, you give gifts, gifts to your kids not based on how good they are. Like, for all our rhetoric about the nice list and the naughty list, the truth is you give gifts to your kids because you are their parent and you love them. It's not based on their performance. And I want you to understand that God's love for you is not based on your performance. It is not based on how well you do or how well you don't do. It is based on his character, not your behavior. It is based on his love for you, not your love for him. And so you can receive that gift from Jesus, that gift from God. You can receive it in the exact same way that you would receive any other gift you're going to get this Christmas. You accept it. You say thank you. And you trust that it was given from a place of love. 